Welcome back to another episode of Table Topics, the tabletop role-playing game podcast that we host. My name is Caleb. Joining me are... Anas Santiago. And I'm Christian. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> yes, as you can tell, we have another member of the Table Topics crew. He's going to be joining us from now on. Uh, he's a good friend of ours, and he knows a lot about tabletop role-playing games, has a good uh, depth of experience in different uh, role-playing games. A lot of experience in our topic today, which is D&D 5th Edition. I think I am the only person in this podcast that has finished a campaign start to finish. I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. That's, that's accurate. At least in D&D 5th Edition. One of my campaigns had it. Technical ending. <laughs> <laughs> a two-hour-long video is not an ending. <laughs> it is an ending, technically. I will bear the brunt of having run so many campaigns, and none of them have technically ended. Yeah, and for me, I think we discussed it in an earlier episode, but I haven't run a full campaign yet. I'm still waiting to do that. It's just mm. part of different campaigns right now, waiting for some to finish. But I have run one-shots and smaller campaigns and stuff like that. As yeah. a small aside for the audience, if you're curious, we say yet yeah, because for us, it has been a while from our last recording. Uh, our previous recording was pre-COVID, and so we're now in a hopefully post-COVID world, and uh, it's been some time. It has been a while. Yeah, and so as we mentioned earlier, today we'll be talking about one of the most popular tabletop role-playing games that exists. Everybody knows it, regardless of if you've heard of board games, even. Everybody's heard of D&D. Even, you know, uh, Stranger Things mentions it, and that was a big thing for a lot of people. It it has definitely become part of the greater, like, cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, and when people hear uh, tabletop role-playing game, they don't know what to think. When they think of when somebody says D&D, they know what a tabletop role-playing game is, even if they haven't heard the term. If you haven't heard the, uh, of it before, D&D stands for Dungeons & Dragons. 5th mm-hmm. edition is currently the Most current. popular. It's yep. also the current, like, supported, uh, the newest supported edition uh, by its producers, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. They're kind of the pioneers of the whole space, really, and a lot of what we, you know, know today in the tabletop role-playing game world can be traced back to... Mm, Gary Gygax. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could go on. There there could be a podcast solely on the origins of tabletop role-playing games uh, uh, and, and, and the progenitors of tabletop role-playing games. That's not really what we're no, here yeah, to talk about. We won't get into all of that today. Yeah. Um, Suffice it to say, it has defined the genre. Yeah, exactly. So with... Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, it does a very nice thing, which is the way it's set up, it compartmentalizes a lot of things for you to be able to understand and plug and play with however you want to play the game as a player and also as a dungeon master, which is, you know, the term dungeon master. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the very format of the game. Uh, which in and of itself is is unique amongst tabletop role playing games is the fact that it it compartmentalizes like you said 
uh, the different portions into even separate books. If you are a player, you do not need to own the Dungeon Master's uh, guide or the Monster Manual. You yeah. could just have the player manual. You don't even need the player manual. Uh, almost all of the things that you need to start Dungeons & Dragons are completely free online. They yeah. have starters kits that will get you up and running for a group of four to six people that have never played the game before, never seen a tabletop role-playing game, and maybe don't want to spend any money on it. All of those things you can find online, and that's one of the things that makes D&D so accessible. Mm-hmm. Everything's available. Anything can be Googled. Yeah. It's just all out there. Yeah. And we're not talking about, like, available online through any unofficial means. This is mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast, who are the publishers for uh, D&D 5th Edition. They have just released these things for free, accessible to the public. Yeah. Just the base... The basics of the basics of what you need to play the game. It, it's actually been released under what is known as a commons license. Yeah. Basically, the very bare bones version of D- uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition uh, has been released by Wizards of the Coast under uh, what is known as a commons license that lets anybody uh, kind of uh, tool around with the product, uh, tool around with any aspects of it, and release it uh, as part of their own product, which is goes into another aspect of what makes Dungeons and Dragons so unique, especially fifth edition, is that there are so many properties. Yeah. And just party properties. Just getting into that, if you can kind of think of it as public domain sort of open source, how they kind of release that yeah. sort of content. And just going back to what you were saying earlier about just being able to look up stuff online, get right into it. You don't even need the books if you don't want you can if you want, but that's the nice thing as a player. If you're new to the game, it's really nice because you don't need to know everything about the game. You only need to know about your character and only about, you know, the first couple levels of your character. You can learn more as you go. And that's what's super nice about it is you don't need to know the entire game. You can just know your character a little bit about how to play the game and you can start from there. Yeah. I feel like that's amongst the things that makes the game the most player-friendly, which is, you know, a big factor in its widespread popularity, is Mm -hmm. that it's new player-friendly. You need to know very little. You can easily access the content. Anyone who wants to try tabletop RPGs in general, it's the easiest to access D&D 5th Edition compared to others, and it's the easiest to learn compared to uh, many other properties, because... It's very simple, and it's all available out there. Yeah, and uh, just one thing about D&D that's super nice, where I guess we can kind of introduce the property and kind of what it's about a little bit more intangibles. It is mostly based in a fantasy realm um, where you have different races from, you know, the classic human to dwarves, elves, orcs all that stuff, even more exotic races and stuff like tieflings. Um, there's more out there. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. <laughs> you can be basically any kind of creature or yeah. being that you want in D&D. And the standard setting for Dungeons & Dragons is the Forgotten Realms, yeah. where the continents of Faerun. But there are a plethora of different settings yeah. available. And within those races, there's also... You know, classes, which are, you you can play as a mage, a fighter, a barbarian, a rogue, a necromancer, you know, 
all those different things. And the nice thing is with the races is you can plug and play, right? You can have a gnome warrior or a orc barbarian, something that really kind of fits. Or you can even do something crazy like have a dwarf paladin like I did and just completely customize it to however you want to however you want to play. There, there are a few restrictions. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I think that is probably, of everything, the big strength of Dungeons & Dragons is its versatility and its customizability. You can do whatever you want. It's a very simple system, like, uh, on aggregate. And there are so many things and resources because of its popularity where we have... Uh, character creators and uh, mm-hmm. resources and videos and like so many people making content for this thing that getting into Dungeons and Dragons becomes much easier and there's just so much out there for you to explore and pull into your game so you can make it whatever you want. Yeah, both both official by Wizards of the Coast and also just Third by party. the community. Yeah, just yeah. Everyday people just creating really cool content that you can adapt into your own campaigns if you want. Recently, in a campaign I'm part of, uh, the GM introduced the Kool Aid Man as an enemy. And oh it's yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> it's just something they'd found online, and they thought that it, it fit well, and they, you know the players would enjoy it, and so they are big enemy. Yeah, big boss. Exactly. Kool Aid Man. We almost all died to the Kool Aid Man. Is it what was, he's trying to say. Uh, the, the, the other <laughs> aspect being that uh, we had no idea it was the Kool Aid Man until the Kool Aid Man literally burst through. The it was a pretty neat reveal where yeah. there was the pa- Kool Aid powder, and we were like, "What is this red mist?" and all this stuff, and we saw all these, you know, buildings in the town that had their walls smashed in, and we were trying to figure out what the hell was going on, and then. Yeah. Finally, we had the big reveal, and we almost strangled the yeah, yeah, we, DM. <laughs> there were some choice words. <laughs> but that, that speaks to the customizability of it. You can do whatever. I mean, with any tabletop role-playing game, you can kind of customize it to however you want. But D&D 5th Edition, for example, is makes it very easy to do that. Makes it very easy, and a lot of people are doing it, and so it yeah. makes it very easy to find things. Like, yeah, because... She found that online, that character online, and just was able to adapt it pretty seamlessly into the and, campaign. <clears throat> and to go into kind of like the different uh, game master styles that we've talked about before, there are so many content creators discussing, talking about adding to the greater community of Dungeons & Dragons that if you don't you know, agree with or don't like the approach of one content creator and their suggestions, there more than likely will be another content creator who can give you suggestions that will fit into your game. Yeah. And kind of what we discussed a little bit earlier about, you know, some of its strengths, um, customizability, the amount of content that's out there, whether it be official or non-official, that's really great. Um, Other things you can, you know, plug and play with different characters, different classes, different races, all that stuff. And you can make it your own with the enemies, the settings, all that different things. And it's really cool because there's a lot of content out there as well that adapts um, D&D into different, you know, settings or worlds even. Um, And that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, my first campaign that I ran 
was literally the Magic the Gathering setting in Estrad. And I found just a random book online that was telling me, hey, here's how you do Innistrad in D&D. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I can do that? Sick. <laughs> and so just run it from there and pick it up and play. Yeah. It's super easy. So how does the system work? Uh, the base parts of the system, at least from the aspect of the player, is start with character creation, which is very easy. You, it's essentially you just select options. It's like, what what race do you want to be? You select from... There, there is in the base uh, game like a list of races, and then you can find like custom races or additional races and other content. But you know, you select. Let's say you're like an elf, a wood elf specifically. Done, and then you just you go on to the next thing, which is a class. Select your class. In this case, let's say uh, druid or ranger. Uh, eventually, you you know with levels, you would select a subclass. That's it. You just you know, with the character creation, you selected your class, that's it. And then you selected, like, a background for your character, which is, like, let's say you're, you know, a traveler. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget, what, what's it called? Uh, nomad? Yeah, uh, Nomad's one of them. Hermit. Hermit, yeah. yeah. Outlander. Outlander, that's right. One. And the nice thing is, in the books, they actually go through all, like, customer, or <laughs> character creation itself is a section within the, you know player's handbook that you can just go through pretty easily as well. And if you don't want to do that and you're lazy, there's a cool website owned by Wizards of the Coast called D&D Beyond where they literally just have a character creator on it yeah. and you can't mess it up. Yeah, it makes it so easy that Very you don't streamlined. even have to like read anything and make sure that it works. It'll do all the calculations like, oh, I get this bonus from my race or from my background. It just does that automatically, but it's also pretty straightforward within yeah. the book. Uh, there are, uh, you know, if you want to go a little bit more into it, there are, like, starting attributes for your character and stuff like that. Uh, your class and your race will give suggestions, like, your class will give you certain bonuses, your race will give you, pardon me, your race will give you certain bonuses, and your class typically will have suggestions, like, you know, have this stat, like, wisdom as your highest stat, or dexterity as your highest stat, mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, and it'll do that for you, but there is the option to just manually do this. And and, and this is to say that um, those suggestions are very strictly guidelines. You can have a very fun, and, and in my experience, some of the, the funnest characters are ones that do not like. They're, they're it's a druid that has no wisdom. They they are they are a very naive druid. Uh, wisdom being one of the primary attributes uh, for druids. The character was quite funny because it was about the struggle. Right. You can play bad characters and still have fun. Exactly. So another thing during character creation that you have to think about is whether your class is going to be a magic class or not a magic class. And if it's non-magic, it's going to be a lot easier um, for the most part. There are some exceptions, obviously. But with magic classes, you're going to start thinking about spells and things that that are called cantrips, which are free spells that you can cast. And that just adds a slight layer of complexity. So if you want an easier character, maybe don't go with the magic character right out the gate, but it is something to think about. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a, a kind of like a, a waveform of complexity for the classes where the martial classes and non-magical classes tend to be a lot simpler in character creation than the magical classes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know. One of the other things to discuss mechanically is like, all right, you have a character. What is there to the character? 
like what is there that is important uh sure every character will have unique abilities you know like uh you know being able to reroll one uh one on a dice uh, and that kind of stuff but for the most part like some of the biggest things that will affect character is uh your stats and uh, D&D simplifies stats into one of six stats it does strength dexterity constitution wisdom Intelligence, charisma. I got them all, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. waiting for you to say body. <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting for me to mention something from a different game. I, I will <laughs> I will correct you. Yeah. It's actually intelligence then wisdom. Oh I got yeah, the order. Wrong. I got the order. <laughs> Very important to the game. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean if you don't get that, you basically don't understand D D. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, these stats will go from a one to a twenty. You know, an easy scale for, you know how good a character is at a thing, and then we'll have a plus or minus modifier depending on uh, what that number is. D&D assumes that if you're at a 10 uh, in something, that means you're at a plus zero. It doesn't quite affect your odds of doing something. Yeah, there's no modifier to whatever yeah, there's no modifier. role you're making. Yeah, so if you're below a 10 in something, like let's say you're an 8 in strength, you're at a minus one to all your rolls. Yeah, that would mean your character's weaker. If you have a weaker character, they're going to have a lower score yeah. like than the average, which is 10. And yeah. so they're going to have more difficulties when doing a strength-based uh, role. Yeah. The rolls in this case are, for the most part, D20s, like 20-sided dice rolls. Iconic. Uh, yeah, it's very iconic. Uh, again, like this, is, it's what people think about when they think tabletop RPGs, the D20, because of D&D. Uh, and so for the most part, you know, the GM, you're, you're going to try to do something. Let's say I want to lift this heavy weight. Uh, the GM will tell you to roll a strength check. So you're going to roll a D20, add to it your modifier. So let's say you're at a minus one because you don't go to the gym that often and you're a little flimsy. Uh, and you know, you see whether you, you know, meet, uh, that, uh, that number. And so you, you know, the, your GM might say you need at least a 15. And so with your minus one, you need to at least have a 16 on the dice. And then if you don't, you fail to, to do the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. This is used for combat. This is used for, you know, most things in the system. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning that uh, as campaigns go on, your characters will progressively get stronger. Uh, and progression, much like the D20, goes from level one to level 20. A lot of people will start their campaigns anywhere between level 1 to level 3 is usually a pretty good place to start. Uh, level 1 can be very deadly, so <laughs> I'd recommend level 3. Uh, and there's two major ways to do character progression. The first one is through experience, and the second one is through what is called milestone. Um, experience is just like in video games, where you kill monsters or you do quests, you get a certain amount of experience points. Once you get enough experience points to level up, you level up, and you're now level two. Uh, Milestone's a little bit different, and it's been picking up in popularity a lot recently, because instead of let's go kill as many monsters as we can, it's instead based on your GM's discretion of major story beats and uh, important things happening in you as a group. Doing cool things gets you the level ups, instead of just arbitrarily killing a bunch of small monsters. I mean, I'm all for the milestone system. Uh, I'll admit I've never played or GM'd an XP-based uh, D&D 5th edition system, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. 
just I, I just like the idea of the milestones. Yeah, I think the milestones are a lot more easy for people to understand as well. And also, you know, because players aren't going to really know, hey, this, well, how much experience am I going to get from this goblin mm-hmm. or, you know, a bunch of rats or whatever. And it just makes it feel a little bit better for the players as well. When you complete a major story arc or something like that, you uncover who the big bad is. And then immediately you're all get to level up and it makes it, you know, a little more special that way, I find. Um, I have run and played in both versions of it. And uh, the experience point system does have its advantages. It is the system used by uh, Wizards of the Coast's uh, Adventure Guild system, uh, where they, you know, there's lots of games at your local game store. Uh, and they're drop-in, drop-out games, and it lets uh, players, you know, that might not have played before together to play in the same party uh, and be able to record what they gain from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for for stuff like that, drop-in, drop-out, where not everyone's going to be the same level, not everyone's going to level together, uh, I can see, like, the, use of, uh, the XP system, it, you know, it, for the players... You might not even have to memorize the monster thing, honestly, because like the GM could just be like, True. you know, this encounter was worth this much experience or yeah. what have you, yeah. because those things are usually noted down with monster stats. Yeah. Um, and along with any, like, uh, the, the GM will often say, uh, you know, after an encounter or after a quest, you know, this is what you get. This is the loot. This mm-hmm. is the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, how is it being divvied up, uh, et cetera. And that kind of uh, slides into. Uh, the other major aspect of a tabletop role-playing game, there's the player side that we've been talking about, but there's also the game master side, or in the Dungeons and Dragons uh, system, the dungeon master side. Uh, dungeon masters have uh, multiple responsibilities in uh, D&D. Uh, they create the uh, the tests that the, the players have to go through. They decide the numbers based on charts and intuition. Um, the charts in the Dungeon Master's uh, guide are, like everything else in the system, guidelines. Like, they're not strictly, this is the number that has to apply always in this situation. They're more like guidelines anyways. Let's be honest, though. Basically, every GM, if you're not sure what the DC is and you're like, eh, it's it's kind of hard thing, it's always 15. Yeah. Yeah. If, it, <laughs> if, if it's, it's hard, hard 20. 20. It's 20. <laughs> if it's really hard and they're really trying to milk something, 25. Yeah. <laughs> People don't really go into the granularity very much, mm-hmm. which is a failure a little bit, but... It's so much easier <laughs> for, like, players and GMs, usually, if you're like, 15 is good, 20 is great, anything beyond that yeah. is incredible. And it's, it's up ten, to the GM. Ten is, not, 10 is not that great, 5 is awful. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's up to the GM to either share, hey, this test, you're going to need at least the 16 in order to beat this, or they could just keep it to themselves mm-hmm. and be like, all right, you need to make a strength roll. Good luck. this is just a personal preference but i feel the the keep it to yourself method tends to work very well and this is just in dnd and outside of dnd i feel the more secrets the dm has one part i do like it a little bit better is when it is like a high stakes moment and you're like you know what let's give them a number let's let's let them build that tension over yeah. this dice roll and everybody's watching the die like oh what's it going to be yeah. the number of times i've said to my players roll a 20 for me 
it brings me so much joy every time because it's like you're trying to do something really stupid, roll a 20 or something bad's going to happen. And the only person who ever has messed with me on that is Natasha <laughs> because she always gets the 20. <laughs> Never do that <laughs> to lucky players. I guess that's an aspect we forgot to, to mention because it uses a 20-sided dice uh, uh, for most of the rolls. In D and D, this and this is a very uh, this is a very pro- uh, popular uh, thing. Is that twenties are always successes? Twenties on the dice. Yes, a natural uh, twenty, as yeah. it's known. Natural twenty, uh, and a natural one is always a failure, and they tend to be special successes or failures. So, like a critical success uh, if it was an attack, or a critical failure. Yeah, it's extra good or extra bad. That is the colloquial application of mm-hmm. the D and D rule. Yeah. yeah, and that's the general way that most groups and most you know the online community views it that way yeah. in general. But there's uh, a large proponent that follows uh, the rules as written of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. and a natural twenty on anything other than an attack is not an automatic success. Mm. And and, really? and and yes, yeah. uh, in the rules, natural twenties are only applicable to attack rolls. Right. If you have something that's a DC twenty five, DC thirty. And you have a level one idiot trying to do it. They, no matter what they do, succeed. they're not going to get it, yeah. right? There, yeah. There's a popular thing where it's like, I'm going to walk up to the king and I'm going to seduce him and tell him to give all of his gold and treasure to me. I rolled a natural 20, so give it to me. I win. <laughs> in, it's like, no. Yeah. In, in that scenario, a, a, a lenient or, or perhaps a, a, a favorable... Forgiving DM. Forgiving DM... Uh, DM a nat 20 is the king doesn't immediately have you executed. <laughs> or maybe you charm him slightly, and so, yeah. He might like you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks it's funny, right? Like, yeah, but, but the, a, a natural 20, it, it, the rules as written, does not apply to non-attack rules yeah. in terms of automatic success. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought I knew the, uh, the rule book pretty well, but shows what I know. <laughs> So uh, that kind of like leads into another aspect of, of D&D. And this maybe it is, is common for a lot of RPGs, depending on how dense they are. Um, but it is prevalent in Dungeons and Dragons. And it could be a plus, it could be a minus, depending on how you view it. But um, just there are a lot of rules that are just sidelines. They're not read. They're not read by the DM. They're not read by the players. And people don't consider them. And then they interpret them, the game in their own way, which isn't a bad thing. Make the game what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are these kind of like uh, loose interpretations of the rules can have a kind of like a friction creating uh, uh, device mm. amongst different players. Like if you're joining a new group and you have an interpretation of how D and D works, and the D and the dungeon master of that group has a different view. Right. That's going to cause tension. So again, that, yeah, you just need to make that clear about any assumptions you might have. And again, some people might not know what they play is an assumption of the rules or not. And again, if you do make assumptions from the rules and you do handle things differently, then that might affect what rules you are following. So it is good to be aware of that because. One assumption that you might make, it might completely contradict how another system, you know, or rules of the system work, right? So, just something to be cognizant of, I guess. Mm -hmm. My recommendation for 
for people GMing Dungeons and Dragons, there's a lot of things that I don't necessarily agree with in the rules. Read through them, find the things that you don't like, and make a list of all the things that you don't like and want to change. And in your first session, just bring it up to the players and tell them, hey, I'm changing these things if and when it comes up, just a heads up. Yeah. That way, at least you can t- talk about it during your first session instead of the rule comes up, the player thinks it's going to happen one way, and you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, that just creates a bad time. That's, that's yeah. just a bad time. Like, And we've been talking about it like a simple... D and D fifth edition does have a lot of rules that try to cover most scenarios, mm-hmm. like in the setting that it's typically played in, which is like a fantasy medieval setting. Uh, and it has like you know how much weight a person can carry, uh, what is uh, reasonable like running speed, mm-hmm. you know those like more gritty rules. But uh, again, like we said, they're more uh, guidelines than anything, and they often tend to be sidelined, you know? Yeah. Uh, put to the side for just, you know, players tend to go for what's, uh, and GMs even tend to go for what's thematically cool and what's thematically appropriate. Sure, you might be able to, ca- to carry the weight of 12 spears, but are you carrying 12 spears in your backpack? Probably not. <laughs> right. And some people, some DMs might be fine with that. I was like, yeah, you know what, like, instead of having to worry about that, I'll just kind of let you have your 12 spears, because worrying about the nitty-gritty can be a little bit annoying. Like, with the weight of your coins is, like, not a lot of people play with that, um, for example. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just as much as you want to put into it, right? Yeah. And those kinds of rules can add something to a game, mm-hmm. but it doesn't add something to every game. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, some, sometimes you do want to play a, hey, you got to manage your resources. you got to actually think out this. And I, I like that idea. I would love to play a game like that. But I would also, you know, want to be able to relax in a different game and just kind of let loose and not have to worry about how much this hammer weighs, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, speaking of, you know, all the things that we like and all the customizable things that, you know, are offered by... Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, there's also some things that we might not like as much. And I don't know, what what do you guys think? What are some of the things that you guys don't like as much about it? I mean, you can call me, uh, uh, not, not maybe a hipster or, or you know, devil's advocate. You're both of those things. A contrarian. All three. Uh, yeah. What, what have you? I, I like D&D. I like D&D 5th edition. But, but my, my biggest gripe with it, and it, it's not its fault, it's just what its place in, in cultural-wise it has. It has such a stranglehold on tabletop role-playing games that that it has become synonymous with mm-hmm. it. it. It is it is the Frisbee. It is the... Kleenex. The, the Kleenex. Yeah. It is the Jacuzzi. The Band-Aid. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just... it's and, and, and that rubs me the wrong way because uh, a lot of time, even though D&D is so customizable and it can fit so many things, it ends up being a situation where someone wants to play a game and there is a system that would be better for it, mm-hmm. but they see D&D and they see all these options and they're like, well, this square, you know, peg is going to go into the round hole one way or the other. And they just keep trying mm-hmm. instead of, you know, maybe being open to trying yeah. a different I'll, system. I, I have seen many a horribly, horribly homebrewed 
D&D to make it into a gritty, realistic, noir yeah. <laughs> campaign. And it's like, D&D isn't made for any of this. Like, yeah. there's some settings in D&D, like there's Spelljammer, which is D&D in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's even a couple, like, Acquisitions Incorporated, which does more of the, like, capitalism in a more modern world with, mm-hmm. like, technology and stuff like that. So those exist. But I really don't think that's where D&D is at its strongest. I don't like any of those. Yeah. I think D&D is best when it's fantasy. There's some applications for it outside. But otherwise, to Santi's point, just use a different system yeah. that's made for it. Right? Yeah. There's so many systems out there as you're talking. Like, And again, a lot of players I know that have played D&D, like, there's a good majority of them have only played D&D. And whenever I mention another tabletop, such as, you know, Shadowrun or, you know, Blades in the Dark, they're like, oh, I've, I've never even heard of those. And it's like, yeah, well, I mean, wouldn't you want to play a new setting, a completely different, you know, space adventure? Like, it's up to your imagination and there's so many out there that no matter what you want to do there's probably a system and a setting out there that kind of you know is built on top of that so there's no customizing even as good as D is you don't even need to do that right so it does definitely kind of hog the space of tabletop role-playing games i agree in the same vein i feel that its popularity hurts it in another way and that is a lot of people are making stuff you know customizing things out there even if it is like very appropriate and works very well for D&D there is an aspect of that customization that is and you know this is a more in-depth topic but at balance you know what what might be you know if you give it to your players too early something might like ruin the game so like nothing will ever be a challenge for them Mm -hmm. and you know an enemy might seem fine but then it's actually a much harder challenge uh, than it seems because of like a certain way it's been customized. Uh, and uh, this is a problem with, you know, with so much stuff out there, you might see something and easily be like, oh, that's cool. I want to bring it in and it, it'll be, you know, off in a certain way. Yeah. An example of that is we've mentioned earlier that Kool-Aid Man. I was going to say, yeah, that <laughs> Kool-Aid Man traumatized us. Yeah. And afterwards, uh, the GM looked at it, uh, and the GM was using one of the GM tools available in D&D, which is uh, something called a challenge rating. It's like what a uh, the level should be of a party of four players uh, to be equivalent to that monster. So if you have something that is a challenge rating four, then a party of four players at level four, will, will it'll be an even fight. Challenge rating isn't a perfect system, but it's a good suggestion. Uh, for uh, dungeon masters, but with custom things like this Kool Aid Man, it had a challenge rating that was not quite appropriate. That was right. a few levels off uh, from what would be fitting for uh, for that group of players, and so it was a much harder challenge than it would have been. And you'll run into that a lot. Uh, I often find that, uh, especially for player made things, whether it's items or abilities or stuff. I'll often find those to be too strong and take away too much challenge right. from players yeah. uh, when I'm looking at the custom stuff. So that you know that I feel like is a problem. Sure, some people go through like a lot of effort to try and balance things, and even within the player handbook, the official content, there are even there stuff that are not quite balanced. A yeah. lot of people like you'll probably run into this online that say rangers are not as strong as other classes. Monks are OP. Yeah, monks are very strong. 
it's mostly true because you know balancing is a, is a difficult act. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And there's actually uh, the designers of D and D Fifth Edition have actually gone on record to say that some things are purposely unbalanced. Right. Uh, the most famous example is the spell Fireball, uh, which is a very powerful spell, deals a lot of damage in a large area, and they have said that they have kept it unbalanced as a a kind of like nostalgia point a reference to an earlier version of D mm-hmm. to kind of like reference and and pay homage to its history yeah. and so just like you were saying before with introducing i guess community created homebrew stuff like enemies and stuff that is something that again you can fall into that trap of just hey this thing looks neat let me adopt it into my campaign without kind of doing a lot of thought about it. And, like, that can run you into some hot water, definitely. Yeah, I feel like it's it's a bigger concern for perhaps newer GMs and things like mm-hmm. that who also will, like, will see things, something cool and you want to play with the cool thing. Yeah. But, like, m- without some experience in the system, it might be hard to make those judgments. Like, yeah. the Kool-Aid Man was a fine enemy. It just should have been just maybe a couple levels higher. So maybe we should have encountered it a little bit later. As an example. I'm going to disagree with all of you. Yeah? I think that introducing, at least for the players, cool items and cool equipment and, like, fun things for them to play with is almost always going to be good. Because even if they slaughter the next couple of encounters that you run through, you can say, yeah, it's a little bit overtuned. But that just gives me, as the GM, more tools. It just means I get to use bigger, badder bad guys. I just get to throw harder challenges at them, which admittedly does lead to a serious power escalation problem. Uh, so for longer campaigns, don't recommend. But I like to run shorter styles of campaigns. So players going crazy on the power level, not that big a deal because I have them fighting like huge mythical creatures by the end of it. To be fair, you are balancing in your own way, though, by giving them harder enemies to fight than they normally would. So I agree. I think it's a great idea to let the characters, you know, if if somebody wants to have a cool item, yeah, go for it. Even if it is a little bit maybe overpowered for their level, yeah, you can adjust for it. But I think it's only going to engage, you know, or drive up engagement for your players and make them have more fun if... You know, you can be like, yeah, you can have a, a really cool item that you really want to, you know, play with. But, you know, it's going to have repercussions. And so that's what you just have to consider. Yeah. Just give it a downside. Like, yeah. whatever it is, uh, in my latest campaign, I gave them literally the strongest weapon uh, in the game. But one of its downsides was that it was a cursed weapon that had an evil demon inside of it that would try to take over the minds of the players if they used it too much. So it's like, (laughs) here's a cool toy. You can kill the bad guys really easily. But at the end of the campaign, one of the the PCs (laughs) got his mind taken over and kind of went crazy and messed up a bunch of things. So if it's too strong, you can always like, oh, I didn't intend for this to be cursed or I didn't think there would be downsides, but it's a little bit too strong, so let me add some consequences, add uh, an enemy that wants that Mm -hmm. mythical weapon back or whatever. Yeah. And I can see that, but then that's still, I feel like even with that, is still a problem for new GMs. It's excellent for a more experienced GM, 
you're no problems with this at all. But I feel for new GMs, this can still be a lot. Like yeah. trying to and and you don't want to get to the point where yeah. you have the pendulum swinging e- either which way, where you have a really powerful item, so you try to balance it with a <laughs> really powerful enemy, and then that enemy just wipes them all out, and you're like, oh, where's the balance? So yeah, I guess just to your point is to you know try to stick with things that you're comfortable with rather than if it's something you don't know, you know maybe just be a little wary as all we're this isn't a popular opinion but i feel like if you're a new gm you should stick to officially uh release stuff just because that's been play tested a lot and like minimize the custom stuff or if you're going to put in custom stuff just take things that exist and tweak them a little bit mm-hmm. so start with smaller changes on existing things before adding in <laughs> your yeah. own crazy thing built from scratch yeah. uh, and to 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 that point it's it it is a problem for for a lot of RPGs that is ultimately has to be solved by a GM DM mm-hmm. and with their intuition with their understanding of like what could be good what could be bad and and from experience and so it it is a thing where you have to train your intuition to be able to say hey this custom thing this monster it says it's CR eight but looking at its stats. That's not CR8, that's CR12. Or that's not CR8, that's CR4. CR being challenge rating. Yeah. And it, it also, <laughs> another reason challenge rating kind of sucks, uh, it depends on your party. Like, the Kool-Aid man, uh, not that bad, uh, honestly speaking, but we didn't have any sort of magic damage in our group, <laughs> and he was immune to physical damage, so we couldn't do any damage to him. So, against our group completely would annihilate us, but if we were a group of mages and just ran from him and shot him from a distance, he wouldn't be able to touch us, right? Yeah. And again, another way that, you know, the players might not have thought about in the moment. Between sessions, we had the idea, oh, what if we tip (laughs) him over? And that ended up being, you know, kind of like the answer. And it wasn't obvious to us in the moment. And I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess a couple notes about how maybe you could adjust that is just within the actual story, just, you know, kind of say that you have that intuition, you know? Uh, Generally speaking though, I think especially once you get to those higher levels, like 10 plus, it gets extremely difficult to properly challenge and kill players just in general, even rules as written Mm -hmm. Uh, because players start having access to things like reviving party members and teleportation like at whim just as an action you can just teleport anywhere on any plane of existence yeah and balancing around those types of things gets really really hard even if you have big bad guys it doesn't really matter if they have uh, a million damage per second if the players can just say well i would like to be on the other side of the earth now it's it, <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. lot of work spells at higher levels of D start getting very, very ridiculous, very, very fast. And because of the way that progression works, players get more and more and more and more and more abilities. It's not just they're getting better at the things that they do, but they start being able to do a lot of very incredible things, which makes it hard for a GM to actually challenge them, especially like a a high-level rogue. They literally can't roll below 10. (laughs) Right? You have to get clever about how you challenge them. And that's a lot of work on a, especially if you're a new DM and this is like one of your first campaigns. It's like, I don't even know how to make an encounter that can challenge these guys. I have these challenge rating 10 creatures, but like 
they're running through them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, D&D is also, generally speaking, balanced around the idea that you are going to have multiple fights, multiple encounters per day where you're going to take damage, you're going to have to use spells, you're going to have to spend your resources. But from my experience, it is really hard to put PCs in player characters uh, in situations where they are going to be fighting multiple times a day. And like, again, it's a lot of work on the DM side. If you have to prepare a bunch of big fights every day, of the game it's it just gets to be a lot uh and if you aren't running it with multiple fights per day it makes a lot of classes a lot less appealing and a lot worse because they just get outclassed and just speaking to that point i think another thing is if you're thinking about the game and how the sessions work having multiple sessions of combat or even just, you know, the same session of big combats can really drag on. And, and it depends on your uh, group as well, your players. If they're okay with that, then that's fine. But that is just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, there are these weaknesses. And to, to pile up tough, I personally have another qualm with the, with the spellcasting uh, system that is used. And it's not just spellcasting some classes use this for other abilities as well and it's D&D for magic uh, uses a spell slot system what that is is essentially as you get to certain levels there's a you know if you're using a character creator like D&D Beyond it automatically does this for you but with uh, if you're doing it by hand uh, there's a table uh, for each class that at certain levels you gain certain spell slots so Let's say you're a wizard. At third level, you get your first, second level spell slot. Uh, so, uh, and spell slots go up to nine. Uh, and you have a, like, a limited amount of each spell slot. So if you want to cast a second level spell, which are all the spells that are better than first level spells, you have to use a second level spell slot. Higher level spell slot can be used for lower spells, mm-hmm. uh, but not vice versa. So you can cast a first level spell with a second level spell slot. It, usually just amps up the power of that spell. Each spell will have that in the description. It's very nice for progression, doing it that way, and unlocking spells at certain levels. So as your level goes up, you unlock more spells. What I kind of don't like about it is that from like looking at it from a resources perspective, it feels like you can't push yourself to do something else. Like, once you spend all your second-level spell slots, your second-level spells are locked out. Yeah. Like, whether it's, you know, like, if you're playing, let's say, with multiple encounters per day, that's, a, you know, the what we already covered this weakness. So, as intended, you'd be multiple encounters per day. If you use up your second-level spell slots, you no longer have access to those spells you're stuck with a smaller pool of what you can do. Uh, other systems, uh, uh, which I found uh, personally I like more, other systems would instead give you a pool of resources. Let's say, you know, you have 50 magic points and each spell has a certain cost. So you're not locked into casting two second level spells, but you have this pool of a resource which you're, you spent out of yeah. every time you... Uh, use a spell or ability. Uh, you know, a bunch of classes use those, uh, like their abilities cost spell slots and what have you. 
sort of like a mana system and use up this amount of mana yeah. for higher level spells, quote unquote. Yeah. Personally, I prefer that, which a lot of other systems do. Mm. Magic, uh, sorry, you, you said mana and I thought magic. Uh, <laughs> uh, D&D 5th edition does not work like that. D&D 5th edition works more with a restriction with like a certain, like each ability has this many uses, but mm. not quite that. Yeah. Yeah. For for a system that is so flexible and customizable everywhere else, it is extremely rigid on yes. its spells and how its spells work. Yeah. So that is another aspect that I find, eh, you know, like, don't get me wrong, love the system, but like, if you're looking at it, like, objectively, that is an aspect that is like, annoying to deal with at yeah. times. So these are just things to keep in mind when you're yeah. running your campaign is just... Yeah. Things to watch out for and things that you might want to change yourself. If you don't like it as well, you can adopt a different setting. Again, something like magic and a whole magic system is something pretty intense. So yeah. you're going to have to do a lot of work to, you know, homebrew that. But it is one point where we are not the biggest fans, at least a few of us. Yeah. Or don't homebrew. Just yeah. play a different system if that is an aspect that is like... Yeah. That you deal really want to, yeah. yeah. that's a deal breaker for you, or that you find really uncomfortable and you'd rather play something else. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Plenty of systems out there. Homebrew is great. Homebrew adds a lot of things to DD. Homebrew, in a lot of cases, is WD 40 and duct tape. Yeah. It can fix a lot of things. It, it, it can't fix everything. Yeah. Guys, trust us. We love D and D. Yeah, I mean, like maybe because it's popular, maybe because it's you know, a lot of us have nostalgia for it because it's how we got into tabletop yeah. RPGs, and so love it. It's not perfect. Nothing is. He says some of it's the things we don't like. Any other final thoughts you have about the system? About D and D in general. Chris, new guy. Anything to say? <sighs> Coming out with some hot takes already. Called so. out. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much does it. I think he was trying to think of something, but he couldn't. Don't play Spelljammer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If By you, the way, next episode, Spelljammer. <laughs> fuck. If you're really <laughs> into the nitty gritty, the more crunchy version of D&D 5th edition, try D&D 3.5. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody play 3.5. <laughs> that being said, don't play 3.5. Unless that's what you really enjoy. Hey, something out there for everyone. Nope, we're saying no. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, I'll vote it. <laughs> you know, no. I, I was hoping with Chris here we'd balance the vote, but no. No, 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 guess no. What? no, no, no. I think I think it comes down to if you're going to play 3.5, just play Pathfinder. Exactly, yeah. Play but that. we're not talking about Pathfinder. Either. No, no, no. We don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, thanks, everybody, for joining our third episode. Uh, thanks for listening. If you uh, want to come up with any other uh, suggestions of what we should talk about, you can just let us know by commenting somewhere. <laughs> we, hope, we hope wherever we post this has a comment section. Or, or I'll, I'll link an email somewhere for you to email us hate messages. <laughs> we'll figure this out. You know, it's the start of a new age. We're post pandemic, hopefully, trademark. Yeah. Uh, not on wood. Hate, message, on wood yeah. hate messages for Caleb. Love yeah. messages for Ennis. For, Criticism to Santi. 
and send your hot takes to me. Yeah, hot takes. He's the hot take guy. That's why we brought on Chris. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.